I want to thank you for listening and for all your support as we at Death, Sex, and Money have made our move to Slate. Your stories, voice memos, and emails have meant so much to the team. As part of this transition, there's a new way to support our show financially at Slate, our new home. And you'll get something special in return. Subscribe to Slate Plus, and you'll not only support our work on death, sex, and money, you'll get access to new benefits, including listening to us and all of the other great shows Slate makes, like Slow Burn and Dakota Ring, without any ads or sponsor breaks. To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts or visit slate.com slash DSM plus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks. I think that scares me the most of anything, like telling somebody romantic or otherwise that I might be blind. There might be a day where I am using a cane, a guide dog that like I genuinely just can't see without a lot more intervention i can't get around yeah i don't know i don't know how comfortable i am with that this is death sex and money the show from wnyc about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more i'm anna sale There we go. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm in a robe. I was not anticipating <laughs> being on camera. Last year, I FaceTimed with a listener named Faye. We quickly changed to audio only. She's 27, Nigerian-American, and at the time, she was living with her family in Maryland. We talked when my book, Let's Talk About Hard Things, was first coming out. And we'd ask listeners about the hard conversations they were struggling to start. Faye had emailed the show about what she called her tricky sense of disability identity. Faye has a form of retinal dystrophy, which is a degenerative eye disease, but it's an invisible disability. And she said then she'd been struggling with how and when to talk about it with people. The hard conversation I keep attempting to figure out how to navigate would be related to my eyesight because I'm visually impaired um, and just looking at me, you wouldn't be able to know. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's something that I have to kind of present or that it's noticed, but nobody really knows the word to use because most people think of the spectrum as you see (laughs) with glasses or not, or you don't see and you're completely blind. For the longest time, it really didn't even have to happen. Like a conversation never really had to happen. But as my eyesight has worsened over the years, I feel like the conversation presents itself more often than not. Would you describe to me, um, what's your eyesight like now? Sure. Okay. (laughs) It's really hard to like explain it even though like I literally see out of these eyeballs every day I know Um, I know (laughs) it's like what is the color green you know it's like such a hard question right oh my god that is the best way to put it yes what is the color green is what you just asked me but um let me see so right now the easiest way I can put it is in my left eye I can barely see anything in the sense that I can't like read text I can really only see like shapes um, I'm pretty colorblind, like so I really only see in shades of you know gray. Um, 
in the past about like two years now I got like a blind spot if you will so if I like try and like put something right where my blind spot is like if you let's say hold a finger up right where my blind spot is I literally don't know what it is but I don't see black the blind spot is like a blurry <laughs> like configuration of something like my brain is trying to force an image that's not there there is no cure for phase disease, and early research into stem cell treatment is years away from being widely available. Eventually, Faye will probably lose her sight completely. Faye was first diagnosed with her condition when she was 12. As her sight gradually worsened, she's needed to use more assistive devices to get through her day, like a screen reader when she's using a computer, or a voice assist on Netflix, which narrates what's going on on the screen. But she prefers to use these in private, she doesn't really talk about them with people outside her family. When I'm describing my current eyesight, I play it down. So I'm like, you know, I'm pretty blind. <laughs> Obviously, I don't drive. Um, but everything else I can kind of pretty much get around. But yeah, I pretty much walk around with blurred vision and just kind of clumsily navigate the world. But that's, a, that's as specific as I get, really. Um, why do you think, this is a big question, um, sure. <laughs> why is it hard for you to talk about what's going on with your eyesight, with people in your life? I think it's that I feel like there's not enough, um, curiosity on the other end. Like, I think maybe because people think I would be uncomfortable to share, well, where I'm uncomfortable is if I don't think you want to know more, I want to hear more, or it makes you uncomfortable, like having to take on the, what I perceive to be like a burden of comforting me, then I close off. But for me, I also don't know how to bring it up <laughs> because I don't know if they want to hear all of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Is there anyone in your life who, when, when you noticed that your eyesight was getting worse? Mm. Um, that you could turn to and just say, I need to tell you what's going on with my eyesight? Um, yeah, so I will say most of the time it's so gradual that I kind of don't notice. But there was a time, I would say like a couple of years ago, where I felt like a shift. Like it felt like, okay, I woke, I slept last night and I woke up this morning and I feel like something really changed. Hmm. Um, and when that happened, I told my family, um, I made an appointment. I told them because they're, one of them was going to have to give me a ride. <laughs> so I was like, hey guys, this is what's going on. But all I said is I think it got worse, but I, I wasn't really forthcoming with how much it really was getting to me. Um, then it was, I would say, probably after the appointment. When that reality set in, definitely... Um, was much more emotional outwardly. And the two people that I shared that outward emotion with were my dad and my brother. Um, mm -hmm. I've never cried to this day about it, except one time, and that was in front of my dad. And since then, we really haven't like really broached it again because I just kind of picked myself back up and kept it moving. But my brother, I will say I have emotional, emotive conversations about it with him regularly. And one, because he is curious, like he asks like 
tell me how you're feeling. And he like gives me feedback that feels very genuine. Um, not like he was not anything that's like trying to just make me feel better or soothe me. Like it just, it just feels so natural. Have you ever had a conversation about your eyesight where you can remember someone, uh, asking you questions beyond what you were comfortable talking about, that they were so curious that you actually realized you were beginning to feel uncomfortable going into detail? Um, I would say maybe my mom is the one that comes to mind in the sense that it's not that she's asking questions, it's that she's making comments or assessments about what I should be seeing or feeling. It's a lot harder for her to get used to my eyesight change than I think anybody else in my family. Like if I like, let's say draw something and I pick it up, pretty easily she's like there you go you can see and I'm like no I just happened to like touch right where it was (laughs) I got lucky that time but at least with her family they know the basic facts when Faye is meeting someone new she feels a different sort of frustration especially when it comes to dating when we first spoke Faye had just started seeing someone she liked and she said she wasn't sure how direct to be with him about her vision in talking to him, it did come up. I was like, it's gotten worse over the years, probably in the last few years or so. Um, and then there's a chance it'll get worse in the future. But I never say that definitively, but that's because I never have. I still I still feel uncomfortable with that idea. Um, does it feel uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable to say that you might be blind? Just to think about yeah. that reality for yourself? Or is it about how they might react? Um, probably both. Mm-hmm. I think um, more so how they would react. I'm curious um, if you all ever get to the Netflix and chill stage of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think you'll turn on Voice Assist? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> I'll be honest, I will miss things in the show and just annoy him and ask like, oh, what did what happened there? Like, I missed that. I'd rather do that than turn on voice. It's I hear you saying two things. I hear you saying, yeah. um, I don't talk about my eyesight and what's going on because I find that people aren't curious mm-hmm. when I do mention it. And then I mm-hmm. also hear you saying, I try to keep it a secret that I need help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I really, I really don't think I'm ashamed of it. Like, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. Otherwise, I, I probably wouldn't be talking to you, like sending in that email. I think maybe that was me telling myself, no, I'm not ashamed. It's fine. Like, this is, it is what it is. This is like my reality. This is the life I live. Um. I think it's that I'm always worried that not that they're going to judge me and think any less of me, but they're going to like, hmm. I don't know what I'm so worried about. I genuinely don't. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just that it's, you're changing. You've changed and you're not sure how mm-hmm. to when and how to explain it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what that that definitely is a 
big part of it. It's like I'm I'm still myself trying to get used to my reality in, you know, the world as we used to know it with my new eyesight. Does part of you just want to see where it goes romantically before you fully disclose what's going on with your eyesight? <laughs> okay, yes. I think that's so accurate. It's probably because I want to make sure that he's somebody that I'm even that into or that is going to be around like six months from now anyway before opening up that can of worms. You know what I mean? Like, even if I go super in-depth, this won't be the reason why he's uncomfortable or pulls back. I want to know that I'm safe enough in our connection that I can share with him and, you know, we can move forward romantically from there. Does that make sense? It sounds like you're afraid if you tell him he'll reject you because of your eyesight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an element of fear of rejection for it. But the thing is, I'm very comfortable with re rejection generally, like just in the <laughs> sense that like, I like, like you know, I've, I've definitely been a girl that has shot her shot. I'm not like, I don't typically do it, but I've done it, you know, here and there. Rejection doesn't really like break me to my core, right? But the idea that this would be something to reject me for would would basically illuminate all the fears I have about it. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, personally, I'm not ashamed of it. Or I don't think any less of myself because of it. But I'm worried that others would look at me differently because of it. So I just want to make sure I'm clear about mm -hmm. your, uh, the next time you see mm. this guy you went on a date with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is your plan to try to have a conversation about this or to <sighs> wait? Um, I don't know. I don't think that I will actively be looking to because I, like the last time we went on a date, I, I think I was looking for the end. Like, where can I bring it up? Like, how do I say it now? Um, this next time, I don't think so. I, Because now I feel like, I don't think it's fair, but I feel like I want the ball to be in his court and bringing it up again. Like, I won't, I won't be the one to try and make a conversation happen. I want him to be the one to... I don't think it's fair, though, right? <laughs> I don't think I'm asking you, but, like, I don't know. I actually don't know if it's fair for me to put that on him because... How is he supposed to know that I want to talk about it or I would be open to talking about it? Yeah, um, he probably doesn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So you might not even know there's more to know or more to ask about, right? I don't know. This is really the first time I'm engaging with somebody that I, there's like a mutual interest between us two and that my eyesight is something that I think needs to be on the table in order to feel secure and safe. I checked back in with Faye about eight months after our first conversation, and she told me there had been a lot of changes in her life. The guy, he's no more. <laughs> so that's a thing. Faye also told me she'd started a new job and had told them she sometimes required some accommodations and she was preparing to move out of her parents' house, which we talk about after the break. 
right now where I'm, I am at home, there's usually always somebody. But now there won't be like 24/7 somebody kind of always just being around, um, which will be fine. Like I'm actually okay with that. Like I think that was a huge part of moving. It's just wanting this challenge, but still having a little bit of a bridge. Last week, we asked you to tell us if you're currently thinking about estranging yourself from someone in your life, like a close family member or a friend, and your stories are flooding our inbox. Right now, I'm at a place where the person I've been estranged from, my mother, is reaching out to reconnect. Uh, Estrangement was her idea. And eventually, they all stopped talking to me. I would see Facebook photos of them having brunch or barbecue. I am becoming estranged from one of my two brothers. All three of us are gay, so you would think that is the makings of a wonderful and fabulous sitcom, but we have very, very toxic relationships with one another. Thank you so much for sending in your stories. And we know that being estranged from biological family can be painful in its own particular way. But we also want to hear from you if you're becoming estranged from any chosen family, like an online community or a political group that is no longer working for you. What made you start thinking differently? And how are you thinking about the process of leaving those relationships? Record a voice memo and send it to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. On the next episode, I go on a walk with author and researcher Britt Ray. Her new book is about how the climate crisis affects our mental health, from detachment to overwhelming dread. And we also talk about our own climate anxiety, and specifically how she grappled with the question of whether to have a baby. When boiling it all down, the decision to not have a child felt like a commitment to fear. And then on the flip side, deciding to have a child felt like a commitment to joy. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalyst for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. 
If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Faye told me that her flirtation with that guy she liked sort of just petered out, and then she ended it. She was left unsure about whether her disability had been a factor or not. But when we talked at the beginning of 2022, Faye said she'd been practicing being more open about her eyesight. She'd started a new job in market research and had been transparent about her disability with her new coworkers. And she told me she was planning to move out of her parents' house and into an apartment with her brother. Because of living on my own, I'm just not going to have the safety net I'm accustomed to. Like, I'm going to have to ask maybe, like, a stranger at the elevator, um, like, hey, did I click the right button type of thing? Whereas if I'm in an elevator with a family member, they would just say, oh, hey, you, you clicked the wrong button. If I was going into an elevator with a wheelchair, somebody might just naturally have instincts to see how they could help. But if they're looking at me, they have no idea. I don't use a cane or anything like that. So not only are they not going to have instincts to ask, they're also, when I do ask, they're going to be confused. And a lot of times I don't want to be like, well, I'm visually impaired because that always, nine times out of 10 opens up a can of worms. Like if I, like I've had like encounters at like the wax ladies, <laughs> like, hey, I might need to hold your hand to get to the room, like hold the back of your wrist. And then while I'm in the middle of a wax se- session, I'm being asked, <laughs> like, you know, like, how long have you had issues? With your- like you know, a, like a, a waxing, like a, a, a bikini wax, a bikini wax. Oh, Lord. Yeah. You don't want to talk ever during that. And you certainly don't want to talk about <laughs> Do you have anyone who you can talk about what that has been like to go through who can tell you how they figured out when and how to ask for help? Um, no, not anyone in my immediate life. I can say I have like an influencer that I turn to that I'm like, oh, she fits my vibe, but then she doesn't in so many other ways. Her name's Molly Burke. She also had a degenerative eye disease, but at this point she's like way um, further along than I am. Um, something else that we diverge in is that like 
I I'm a black woman. <laughs> so like um I have that additional minority element compounded on top of like my disability and being a woman. Um and of course like I don't expect her to necessarily be able to speak to that. But yeah, like for the most part, I'm able to look to her to be like put words to my to certain things I've never known how to explain to others. I'm like, oh wow, she's explaining it for me. <laughs> I just found um I was looking at Molly Burke and I was like, is there a Nigerian American blind person who would be interesting for you to see how they talk about yeah. their life? And I found um I don't know very much about her. She she performs under the name Lachi, L-A-C-H-I. Have you heard of her? L-A-C-H-I. No. Yeah, I would love to look into her. Um, did you just type in Nigerian American? <laughs> I did. Nigerian American blind to see what I could find. Uh, uh, let's ooh, see. Okay. Okay, here's a – I'm just going to quote from this yourweb.com article. They ask okay. her, as a woman of African descent living in America, one who is also blind, dealing with duality appears to be something that comes naturally to you. Is that so? And Lachi says, duality is a great term, and it's actually the title to one of my songs that did really well. Oh, amazing. Duality is the word. That is the key. I definitely live with a bunch of duality um, in so many respects. Do you want to hear a little bit of that song? I just found the YouTube video okay. for it. Let's listen Let's to it together. Okay, now we have to go to the club, and we have to ask for that song. <laughs> I was going to say, that's so not what I was expecting. Hi, what is up? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Same here. So, Faye, this is Lachi. Am mm-hmm. I pronouncing that correctly, Lachi? Lachi like Versace, girl. Oh, love it. (laughs) (laughs) Still trying to get that brand endorsement, but it didn't catch on yet. So, hello, hello. I don't have a designer that sounds like (laughs) (laughs) We got Lachi on a Zoom with Faye and me a few months after we'd found her on YouTube so they could talk together. Like Faye's, Lachi's eye condition is degenerative. And she also grew up in a family where she couldn't always talk openly about her disability. Lachi is in her 30s now and is based in New York. She's an EDM singer and composer and a disability advocate. For a time, she told Faye and me she had a day job working for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. But music kept pulling at her. I just was sitting at the desk and I just did not belong there. And... You know, I was humming and singing like really loud at my desk, apparently all the time. Till finally somebody stopped me and was like, girl, do you realize you're just literally bolting at your desk? Eventually, she quit her job and landed a record deal with EMI. But that deal didn't last long. And so anyway, I had kind of was like a traumatic experience where I was like, I'm never going to talk about my blindness ever again. And I was like, I want to put the music first. I want to put the music first and put the music first. And then so I got really good at what I did and just made sure that I was getting clients based on the music. And eventually, I got to a point where I was being sought after and I was excited. I was talented. I was getting um, compliments. 
and I learned how to feel confident in myself. And eventually I started to allow myself to unfold that self. And so that allowed me to start kind of talking to other um, blind folks and saying, hey, I am blind, you know, I'm legally blind. And then I started performing at sort of blind inclusion and disability inclusion places here and there. And then as that unfolded, I started noticing that I was the only black person on these panels. So I started talking about my blackness too, cause ain't nobody had heard it yet. So I am now sort of like this woman blind, you know, singer that that's black that runs around and makes sure everyone knows that I exist. You mentioned that like, you know, there was a time where you you were within yourself and you weren't really loud and proud, if you will. And like you were trying to find yourself. I want to know how much of that you think is because you're African. Because I know mm-hmm. being Black, yes, that's the thing. Being a woman, of course, all of that is part of the pot. But mm-hmm. how much do you think of it is your African-ness? Um, My Africanness, yes. <laughs> I mean, they, they do all overcross, right? Because, you know, there's one thing to be African and then it's another thing to be African woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they do intermingle. And yes, I think it did play a part. So I came from a large family of seven to Africa to Africans that ain't really that large. Um, <laughs> but I was the sixth of seven. So I was very stay in your lane, seen, not heard kind of thing. And because I was born with a disability, I was always kind of dragged around by my mother. I'm not going to say I was coddled, but I was expected to be, I was just very quiet. I was just very shy. And it still stays there. Um, That fear of always wanting to be the best, but then at the same time, wanting to be humble, like that intermix of that. um, It is something that's amplified being a woman and amplified being Nigerian. I mean, the reason I ask is because I think being Nigerian is a lot of the sauce for me in the sense that like in terms of maybe not being so forthcoming and like sharing everything like you're taught from a very young age at least in my situation like you you just don't have to share everything like not everything is for everybody to know and they included in that is my disability it's like I don't want to speak for any other groups. I'll just speak for myself. But yeah, as a Nigerian, I feel like I'm, I have this sense of be private, be keep a little more close to your chest. Like, I feel like we treat disability, especially as like this weird elephant in the room mm-hmm. all the time, even if it's somebody who is very um, obviously disabled. I feel like we never just talk about it like it's a norm it's like always this weird aura around it taboo taboo yes right yeah so I feel like especially when it's now invisible it's like then why share it if you don't Mm -hmm. have to and I'm like well then that's just so antithetical to like what usually would make someone feel comfortable because when everybody around you knows then you can be more of yourself and let go and not feel like you're protecting a secret or something well it goes it goes a further step than that it allows you to advocate for yourself But one of the things that I use for my advantage is the fact that people think it's taboo and different and weird. At this point, if I go to a family reunion, everybody knows I'm like, I just show up with the cane. I'm just like, yo, what? Um, And so I feel that a lot of times just stepping into it and being loud and proud about it, or at the very least using it, you know, as your handshake 
does actually uh, take all of that pressure, not only just off you, but off everybody else. You know, a lot of people are afraid to approach it. A lot of people, they may see you standing by your phone and holding it two inches to your face. And they're like, uh, what's that about? But if they, <laughs> if they already know, then it's just a norm. They don't have to feel weird about it. There's one more area I want to cover together with you two, if it's okay. And um, Lachi, you tell me if, if you're not comfortable talking about this. But one thing Faye and I have talked about is romance and dating and when to disclose when you're seeing someone new and how to and whether to. Um, how have you thought about that? So I'm in a, a pretty committed relationship, but I think the discussions the discussions that I've had have been with, you know, whether or not to disclose on a dating app. I think personally that if you use a, a some sort of adaptive situation or something like that, I don't see a problem in disclosing it. Because at the end of the day, if you if you don't tell someone you're a wheelchair user and then they find out that you are, the fact that you're in a wheelchair may not be what turns them off, but the fact that you were not upfront about it may be what turns them off. I mean, I know, and there's obviously, there's definitely having to navigate who's like, who might be interested because, but I've really never been a proponent of dating apps and I'm already like clumsy with like disclosure. And then it's also like the moment of, Again, I could get by without someone really knowing. Yeah. Especially if yeah. I meet them in person. Right. Like I could have a whole night with them. We were at this party. Like they have no idea. And then it's like, oh, like, so do you want to meet up for a date? And then I'm like, I don't drive. And then it, that's how it usually comes up. So I, I believe that as your vision gets, um, as your, you know, vision transitions, you will be able to um, express it better. But I think that you should start working on it now that a good a good thing maybe that you could consider doing is letting them know early in the date as a side comment so let's say you're on edit date maybe the two of you are whipping out menus oh i'm legally blind so you know i'm gonna go ahead and zoom in girl <laughs> and so um you know you could keep it light and it doesn't have to be this whole big thing so that when it's like let's go on a second date oh i'll pick you up as opposed to, oh, shit, you can't drive? How you can't drive? Oh, you can't see? How you can't see? Um, but it, it'll help you be able to, like, dispel stuff right at the top. And quite frankly, if homeboy can't ha handle it, you'd be like, well, I see how to get this check, please. <laughs> <laughs> but I think once you start sculpting how it's your narrative, um, it'll be less clumsy and you'll be less sort of afraid. But I think also it is, it is, it is really, really um, important and imperative, honestly, that you honor those thoughts. Because, you know, I'll come in here and say, nah, girl, who cares? Girl, just be yourself. But really, at the end of the day, we're all going to feel some type of way when stuff don't work no more. And you, you're, you're allowed to have those feelings. They're natural. They're real. You should honor them. You are a confident person, actually. And you you may not know it, but you actually are. Because I, I, I speak to people that aren't confident about their situation as it pertains to losing their eyesight and you're definitely on the confidence side so i would like like to tell you that you are gonna be fine mm -hmm. because you can adapt you are already confident in yourself and as long as you just keep walking that path you're gonna be fine like just just point blank period you're gonna be fine <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that means a lot coming from you because I'm like, this is a very confident Nigerian black disabled woman. And like, that's what I want to emulate. So thank you. Takes one to know one out here, right? <laughs> <laughs> That was singer Lachi and our listener, Faye. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Afi Duke and Katie Bishop. The rest of our team includes Emily Botin, Zoe Azule, and Andrew Dunn. Our intern is Gabriella Santana. The Reverend John Delure and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Instagram at AnnaSalePix, P-I-C-S. And the show is at Death, Sex, Money on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you to Andrea Ardans in Corvallis, Oregon, who is a sustaining member of Death, Sex, and Money. Join Andrea and support what we do here by going to deathsexmoney.org slash donate. Faye wanted to know a little bit more about Lachi's love life, including if her partner also has a disability. Lachi is with someone who's neurodivergent, but she told Faye to cast a wide net when it comes to dating. Date who you want to date. Date who you like. Who 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 makes your Jimmy's wet? Jimmy's who, Jimmy. <laughs> who, yeah, who makes you? Who gives you that wop? Yeah. You know, date. Who, <laughs> okay, go ahead. Y'all can edit that out. We're keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.